Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg, and Bryn Starnes. Mm-hmm. Yay. Guys, Yay. how are you doing today? Very well. Good, thank you. Great. Good. Well, we we kind of did in our last episode, kind of kicking off season two after we were gone for a little bit. Um, and now we're kind of, we've been talking about kind of what the meat of this season is going to be like. So can I kick it over to you, Chris Legg, and kind of, can you give us kind of just a 30,000 foot view of what we were thinking about kind of this next chunk of the Reconstructed Faith podcast? Absolutely. I think we started with some of the some of the general questions and then, you know, moved into, uh, you know, Chris and I talking about why we, what we do hold to, especially speci- specifically about not the Christian faith, but just God, mm-hmm. just theism and why we've been convinced there is a God and and even some of the traits of that God and and we talked through that and so if you've not read if you've not read those listen to those um, I'd love to send you back a few weeks to listen to those and and if you skipped past those you'll probably appreciate those because otherwise you're gonna you we're gonna jump into the next season about the Bible which is gonna be our next topic and and you're gonna think well, well what about how do you know there is a God at all and and um, that can become a real problem if you pick and choose. So you do need to kind of go through that, I think, systematically. But this is a lot of the questions that we run into when people are deconstructing their faith, which, again, is the purpose of this podcast, is to help people as they not avoid deconstruct their faith, but as they deconstruct their faith to reconstruct something that is more true, more right, um, and therefore more valuable and creates more freedom. And obviously, a lot of the questions have to do with the Bible. And I don't know how far we'll take it as far as, I mean, I, th- I think this is one of those you could do forever and ever and ever if you wanted to. And, and I mean, we're not in any big rush. Um, maybe we could go download one of those infidels.org pages that has, you know, 700 problems with their 700 things that are wrong with the Bible or whatever. And yeah. just go through them one at a time. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think, but I mean, we could. And so this like, there, there's a lot of it. opportunities here to yes. kind of go in different directions. Yep. It's yeah. Big picture, small picture. So big picture is going to be the question about the trustworthiness of Scripture. Is it offer us, well, as, as Peter writes in Second Peter, everything we need for life and godliness? And, um, and, and again, it's, it, we're going to wrestle through what is it sufficient for and what is it not sufficient for and how do we read it and do we read it? What is it? How do we handle hard passages? What do we do when we find contradictions? What do we do when we find something that seems immoral by today's standards? And and we'll at least pick some of the big, the big ones, and then maybe we'll even dive into some of the small ones. Um, if you'll remember, we we had an in depth conversation about the fact that, you know, yeah, context is very often people will, will complain about that. Oh, you're jumping over into context again. That's kind of the automatic answer. Well, yeah, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is important to understand the context, the types of speech, and the and the the, the genres genre of, genre of like literature. It's such a great word. Francisco. <laughs> um, and so as we dive into those, those matter. The historical and archaeological evidences, I think, are, are key and fun. Um, but even where it came from, what it is, um, how we got it, I think these are all, we're going to hopefully cover all those. So I think as you say, Colson, we can, 
If people have questions, where do they, let's just go ahead and say now, I'll remind everybody, if they have questions they want us to make sure we cover, where do they send those? Yeah, they can send them to info at southspring.org. Fantastic. Or they can send them to clechner at southspring.org. They'll both get to me. And so, yeah, if you have any questions, please send them. We've gotten a couple of uh, questions. We'll, we'll get to those um, probably later on that are uh, related to other things like the spirit and other things like that. So, but if you have any questions, please send them in. Yep, We'd love absolutely. to hear. Absolutely. So what do y'all think? What do you think? First, let's talk this. What are some of the topics we're going to need to make sure we cover? The big one today is, is it reliable internally? Does it contradict itself? Okay. I think that's a big one. Um, how do you interpret it as a big one? But I think a huge one is why do we think it's supernatural? Like, why is it different? Why do we believe it's different than the Book of Mormon uh, or the Bhagavad Gita or anything else? Like, what, why, what sets it apart? Okay. And gives it authority. That would mm-hmm. give it authority. Um, and the gal whose book Colson and I read, um, she was talking about the issue of homosexuality, and she was talking about asking whether or not she agreed with what Paul wrote. She was referring to Romans 1. And then she said, would God agree with what Paul wrote? Mm-hmm. So right away you're like, oh, well, I see what's mm-hmm. going on there. You don't believe what Paul wrote are the mm-hmm. words of God. So right. all of who's these Paul, issues... Who's Paul to say this? Right, yeah. right, right. So all of these issues that people want to talk about, there are so many times when it's like, you're going to have to come back to, okay, but if the Bible's God's word. And um, I just think that's a huge one because if, if God has spoken, nothing else is more important. Um, it changes everything because our only options are, you know, God's revelation or man's speculation. Like that's all you've got. <laughs> God either has revealed himself or we're just figuring it out on our own. And that's where we're that that's what's going on today is we we just don't believe that. And I think the stat was over three thousand eight hundred times the Bible claims to be the word of God. So it's a big deal. Like the Bible makes it a big deal. But for us even, if it's not the word of God, then I mean throw it out or I mean use it use it as a nice make you feel good or give you some advice, but don't treat it as the very words of God. Right. So yeah, I think walking through why we believe it's the word of God is really helpful. And I think you're right. Some of that is like historical, archaeological, mm-hmm. even prophecy and yeah. kind of how the how the Bible, I think you just said how we got the Bible. So how we have right. the Bible that we have today. Mm-hmm. I think all of that is really helpful because in church culture, often we say it's the Bible's word of God and we believe that. But then walking through like why do we believe that is mm-hmm. often helpful because today I think a lot of people's question is, okay, so this is supposedly God's word and I'm supposed to change my whole life for it. Mm-hmm. But to them, it often seems like just an archaic book that yeah. doesn't apply just another right, book. to how I want to live my life now. And it's yeah. like, yeah, this is outdated. So I think that's really helpful. And and I've, I've also heard like, um, I think Joe Rogan commented on, he was like, well, it was actually just, the Bible was just kind of formed by Constantine and then, Mm -hmm. wow. And then, you know, he just put it all together and then eventually he believed what he put together. And it's like, like just the, just the complete misconception and the error and ignorance Mm -hmm. around it. And it's like from a popular voice, people hearing that and being like, Oh, so it is. So what, what, what is it kind of, how did it come or it's be, like the telephone game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Do you think we could get so, Joe on the podcast? I, maybe. I think you ought to reach out to him and see if Joe's available. I'm on it. <laughs> it was personal pod, his personal email yeah. address. But the big part about interpreting it is because 
the world does look at us a lot of times as Christians and say we are being selective in the verses that we want to harp on apply, or, or right. apply, mm-hmm. and we're <laughs> skipping other ones. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's another reason why context and learning how to mm-hmm. interpret is so important. Or yep. they see the, like the, was it the council of Nicaea? Of Nicaea yeah. And they, they're like, well, man put the Bible together. Mm-hmm. Man decided right. how yeah. how and what and what wasn't in, included. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this will help people who are skeptical, but also believers, to not fall back on either blind faith or mm-hmm. I believe the Bible because the Bible says so. Right. Um, or I just know subjective right. feelings. I just I read it and I know, mm-hmm. which is what Mormons say all the time. <clears throat> Pray about it. If you're sincere and you read it, you'll know. Yeah. So I've had a new spate of of uh, people from the Mormon Church reaching out to me on Facebook. Yeah. Have oh, you had that too? Mine recently? have been phone calls because. I gave him my number last night. <laughs> and apparently as they rotate, the new guys come in and they right. leave them the numbers of contacts and stuff. So right, exactly. they've been wanting to talk. I wonder what the notes say about your account. You know, both <laughs> of know. you are like, watch out for this one. <laughs> yep. Could be. I'd be curious. I have very simple questions. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've over the years developed a way that I, because I have the same question, like what, you got to sell your book to me. You got to right. convince me that I need what's in your book. Yeah. And... And then I always have them ask them if they could define grace. And so mm-hmm. those are, because again, I, I have this weird interaction in the way that I engage with, with, even with scripture, which I think is not common and probably not healthy for most people. But if I'm, I am always evaluating it as I go through it going, does this, does this seem true? Does this seem right from what I know to be true about reality? And that's part of what I love. I mean, y'all have seen me teach the gospels. I love teaching the gospels because I think no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter what your training is, you read these and you go, yeah, these are real people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah this is this is how real people interact. And I've read, this is one of the convincers for me personally, which we're not on that yet, but is a, I mean, is this just the psychological nature of humans? And I read what happens in the New Testament. I read their stories and this, they act like real people. Mm-hmm. And I read the other holy books and I think I've read all of them and they, none of them feel that way to right. me. It's like, oh yeah, this was written and, and I get that. What's interesting is other holy books feel to me like the parts of the Bible that aren't narrative feel. Does that, mm. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like it, when, when you see them in the, in the whole Monty Python, the Holy Grail kind of mocking the, you know, and the sloths and the orangutans <laughs> and the, <laughs> right. and the, and it, it has that. And, and I, I totally admit like, that's the reason that's funny is because there are parts of the Bible that sound that way. Yeah. Um, and if it would, it made sense to the ancient Hebrew way of thinking and what God was revealing to them to, to talk sometimes that way. All the other holy books feel that way. But when I even read about the interactions between like David and Saul or, or David and, and Jonathan, or I read Solomon's notes, I'm like, man, this, this really happens. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this is people right here. And so, uh, I didn't, I didn't get that sense. Now I do a little bit from the books of wisdom. Like I think Confucius's writings, whatever they actually are like, yeah, this feels real. Someone really wrote this, mm-hmm. but he's making no claim on divinity, just right. on wisdom. And, yep. Even some of the writings of the Buddha, I'm like, eh, I think this was a real guy. He really is wrestling with the things that are real. But again, he he never claims divinity right. and offers very, very little insight into anything divine, um, his actual writings. And it's just, like, it's fascinating to me that those are the things that feel like there's a sense of reality to them. Real life looks like this. And this is a real person struggling with real life. And a lot of the others, they don't feel that way at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is somebody making some junk up. This feels more like badly written fantasy science fiction novels. And yeah. so anyway, that's just a part of mine. Should we jump in at the 
canonization? Are we ready to talk canonization or is that too big a, everybody quickly jump on a Google. Um, I mean, I, I think let's, let's jump into it. And then if, if we kind of reach a spot where we're like, okay, we need to do a little bit more research, we can kind of revisit it. Okay. But I think it's great. It's, it's key to talk about if I'll start with old Testament or Hebrew Mm -hmm. scripture and then let you guys jump. Well, I guess, when you say canonization, I think most that? people, yeah, but what what would you mean by, because, <laughs> yeah, the canon, you know, you hear people talk about the canon. Yeah. How do, what is it? What is canonization? It's funny that that's still a modern, <clears throat> like Star Wars canon. Yeah. yeah. People still use that word and they don't realize it's really. That's interesting. The, yeah. It's, it's a, it means the rule. Well, it literally meant read. It came from word okay. read and that they you would use the read as their standard. And so then it became that word became synonymous with measuring something for the standard, but there you the, go. Root, the root word is read. The principle, the criterion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, the, so the root word is read. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Yep. The the measuring stick. Mm-hmm. Okay. You mean read as an R-E-E-D, like yes. a piece of yes. read. Thank gotcha. You. Like used as a yardstick. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. okay. That's right. Um, uh, and that's, yeah, that was originally the concept. So by what do we measure? Okay. Um, is kind of the idea. And so when we say Star Wars canon, we're saying what actually belongs in the Star Wars universe and what doesn't. Right. And we and we all know it's four, five, six right. and Rogue One. <laughs> and, and that's all. I'm just laughing because when you pull up the definition of canon, it says a collection or list of sacred books accepted as genuine. And it's funny to me because I don't think there are a lot of things that we refer to as canon, but Star Wars being Absolutely. a sacred <laughs> <laughs> Should we start there? So it's right. only How many podcasts yeah, Chris, can we do Chris on Star Wars canon? With furrowed I'm brow. I'm going to leave on a lunch break now. <laughs> I want to hear your wrong opinions. No. <laughs> So I can shoot them down. Anyway, sorry. That's a great way to I am, dialogue. I am so much more dogmatic about Star Wars than I am scripture sometimes. I just got to admit. All right. So, so that's so that's canon. Canon. Kind of measure. Right. What, canonization. Right. What belongs. And then canonization, when you're talking about holy works, is what belongs in the holy work and what doesn't. And so, you know, for example, the, the Quran, um, and I'm not going to get these details correct, so please forgive me. You can look up the details. But the Quran, mm-hmm. there came a moment... When, as I understand it, soon after Muhammad's death, one of his priests, or imams, gathered together all the versions that had been written and rewritten and copied that he could find and made a single copy and destroyed all the others so that there was only one copy of the Quran that was considered canonized. Like, that's it. We don't allow other copies. Other copies found were immediately destroyed um, that did not come straight from this one official copy. Um, which again, I, I am troubled by that attitude. Um, but the uh, um, that so that cre- established canon. This is it's this and no other. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have in the the Hebrew canon. Um, uh, let me look up first. The Hebrew canon actually begins way back in Deuteronomy chapter thirty one. Um, in Deuteronomy thirty one, you have the reading of the law. And this is why Moses is given credit for having written the first, essentially what we call the first five books of the Old Testament of Christianity. The word testament just means covenant, the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant is what I actually try to refer to it as Hebrew Scripture. I think it's more, I don't know, honoring Mm -hmm. to the Hebrew uh, religion or to the Jewish religion to call it the Hebrew Scripture. So I I usually try to refer to it as Hebrew Scriptures. Um, 
but in the Hebrew scriptures, um, those were pretty settled for a long, long time, especially some of them. So what we're going to find with both is that it's like they were 90 to 95% settled rather quickly in mm-hmm. both cases. And then there was always one or two that sometimes was included and one or two that weren't included. And those are really the only controversies. Um, and when, pe- so when people present it as like canonization was a super controversial topic and it was established at some point way, way, way later, that's just not either. It's either ignorant or ingenuine um, because most of it was was very well established very quickly. Um, and in this case, so for example, Deuteronomy 31.9 says, Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and all the elders of Israel. And so this is this is Moses taking the, the this is the initial work of Scripture. And, and depending on who you ask, this may have included the entirety of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then... <laughs> And then the story of Joshua was added in later. That that's that may go as far back as four thousand years ago. Um, that the first holy scriptures of of the Jewish faith were put down in ink, pen and ink, um, even though they were largely done verbally, uh, memorized, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's the first step of the Hebrew canonization. Any any thoughts or comments? Anything to add? No. Anything? Okay, so I'll keep going then. Yeah. Um, the prophets, um, later the prophets, Jonah, Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Nahum. I'm reading these. I'm not that good. Uh, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Habakkuk, etc. These, these were gathered and put together and compiled as, as kind of the books of the prophets. It's intriguing that one of the books that was uncertain as to where to put it was Daniel. Because is Daniel a narrative, mm-hmm. or is Daniel a prophecy? Mm-hmm. And so in ancient copies, bound copies of the Hebrew Scriptures, Daniel is in different locations in it, yeah. which is kind of intriguing. Um, there was a great debate about, as you build through, so then you get into what are called the writings, um, sometimes called the poetry or whatever, the, the wisdom books, and it's hard to know where to put some of them. Um, so you've got the history books, the Kings, the Chronicles, the Samuels. Um, those are those are more historical and were probably written and established very quickly from the time. Like they were written and essentially immediately added into Hebrew Scripture from the time they were written. Um, we have we have better ancient copies, as I understand it, better ancient copies of some of them than others. Like as I understand it, the Samuels, we don't have as many good ancient copies, and so. When you see a difference in the in the Chronicles and in the Samuels or in the Kings and then the Samuels, a little bit different, you you defer kind of to the ones we have the most copies of. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to the idea of textual analysis later. And that's why I think a lot of believers, Christians don't know the Hebrew arrangement of the Old Testament is not the same as what we have. Because mm-hmm. they call it the Tanakh because it's actually three different, it's an acronym for three different. Right. The Torah. The, but So they divide it into the law. The law, the, the prophets, right, the prophets the writings, and the writings. The prophets. Mm-hmm. And Jesus talked about that. Yes. When all three of those, but yeah. their, their order. And again, it shouldn't, I think this is where Christians again get scared. Yes. Because they're like, what? We don't have the, they did it. You know, it's the same thing with later on, we added in chapter and verse. But right. to, to not worry, to not freak out, to find out like. Yeah, it is wild how people do freak out about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and there were other, here's, here's the, you know, I'll give you another one, a good one to freak out. Um, you actually have several times in the Hebrew scriptures, 
books referenced that we don't have. Like it'll say, aren't these written in the like it, or, the or handles of the yeah, yeah exactly they'll shorthand something and mm-hmm. go listen if you want to read more they and there's it's essentially like a modern day citation almost like hey if you want to read more about this check the check the show notes at the bottom of the podcast the problem is we don't have the show notes right. at the bottom of the podcast and that's that's a freaky thing to consider um, if you read through the Hebrew scriptures especially the narratives you will find yourself banging your head against a wall as far as like when there's no details you know like this this would mm-hmm. be so it. I always joke about the man who fights the lion on the snowy day in a pit. Yeah. Like, that's it? That's what I get. So he, this is a dude who fought a, a lion on a snowy right. pit on a day. That's that's the entire story I get. <laughs> you Come on, man. I want This should be its own book. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I think that that is important for us to realize what we have is sufficient. Like that word sufficiency yes. of Scripture. Yeah. We don't have all of it. Because like even Paul wrote another letter to the Corinthians that he references. Yeah, but we right. don't have it. Right. But the point is, it's sufficient. Like we have everything we need for life and godliness, as yeah. we're studying in, in Peter. But yeah, it's, it's okay. So, it's weird. It's, don't don't panic. So I do have a question. So yeah. from Moses, right? Moses wrote the first five. Is that what we, that is, is thought? That's right. That's what. And obviously, we don't have tradition. any of those. Right. <laughs> so that, but those do all, you, at what point do you think the Hebrew people were considering those scripture? Was it immediately? I think I think you would have I, th- I think it is safe to say that immediately the Hebrew people would have taken the words of Moses the books of the law as from God because he was communing the... because he was communicating with God and yes. Moses' relationship with God yes did they put those in the ark as well I know the Ten Commandments mm. even were I, as I understand it they stored they may have stored all of them in the ark as they carried them in yep. addition to the smashed right pieces of the original ark um uh yep. If you've not read your Bible, you've at least watched Raiders. Because right. he talks, they, they, I've always thought, by the way, just as a side comment, in Raiders Lost Ark, I think it's fascinating that they so accurately describe what went into the Ark. Yeah. And they discuss it. They even clarify, like, <clears throat> no, no, the original copy that Moses smashed right. before going back up and getting a new copy. Like, wow. Yeah. That's just, re- that's good research right there. Anyway, um, yeah. So here's the deal. Very quickly, by the time Christians showed up, the books of the what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, were largely intact, bound in these three kind of headings, um, not in any particular order, but bound together in these three headings. They are referenced one another. They reference one another constantly. Um, writers from any time going back a few hundred years before the birth of Christ, the rabbinical system, all of that references them. There's just there's just very little reason. There was one or two books. Yeah, there was some curiosity about, like, should this go, should this not? Um, some of those show up, in, especially in that 400-year gap of the Maccabees period mm-hmm. of time. Uh, the Shepherd of Hermas, I think, is one of them. Um, I'm doing a little bit of this off the top of my head. Bell, I'll have to, I'll have Bell to check and the it. Dragon. Yep. Bell and the Dragon. And so some of these were, and, and you can find some of these in some Christian Bibles, um, and some of them don't. Uh, Protestant Bibles rarely have them actually actually in bound in the Bible, right. um, uh, but a lot of Roman Catholic Bibles mm. do have them bound in the Bible, and they're not always treated the same, even though that's the case. Sometimes mm. they are, sometimes not. Um, so for those, though, that you're mentioning, those early yeah. additional books, who who was governing what, like, was it the rabbis, kind of like the, yes that were determining, okay, these are going to be 
accepted as scripture. Yes. As canon. As canon. Yeah. Right. And these and so won't. The can the, the what you would think of as Hebrew canonization, there was always like a great example is the book of Esther. Does the book of Esther go in the Bible or not? And that was one of the few that was still being discussed when Christians were binding the Bible is should we include Esther? So, you know, pop quiz, why is Esther, why does it not belong in the Bible potentially? Anybody know? It never mentions God. There you go. There you yeah. go. Right. Yeah, yay. Now See? you need the hand clapping button. That's right. Um, <laughs> hey. Oh. Good job. That was um, actually to see if you should stay on the podcast. <laughs> you <couldn't laughs> answer you passed. Exactly. You passed. I do have to comment that Colson looked like he, like he had nothing. Did you know like, that one? Did you know like, that one? It would have taken me a little while. I think I would have gotten there, but I would have, yeah. Um, but also, the New Testament, the people living in the New Testament era, not only would their only Bible have been the Hebrew Scriptures, most of them had uh, the Greek copy. That's right. Which is called the Septuagint. And that's yes. a whole other thing. Of even before Jesus' time, um, they had the, the Greek translation. Oh, when was it written? And that it's sometimes... Um, abbreviated with the number 70 because the story is they had like 70 rabbis that they all individually translated into um, into Greek and it was all in agreement. It was some, some story like that, but there were 70 rabbis who were part of it. That's why it's abbreviated. That's right. Third through first century BC is when it was being written. Okay. No one knows exactly, I guess, exactly when the moment was like, they're done, but... It was written somewhere. Is that in how they said it? I think it's exactly, <laughs> probably in Hebrew, in Hebrew. Or Greek, but I don't know that. I don't know Got that her done. <laughs> exactly right. Um, yeah, that's another one of those fascinating, uh, when you realize that our copies of the Hebrew scripture that we have now were better, are better copies than what the Apostle Paul would have had. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, or that Matthew would have had. Yeah. And that's a, that is a make, that'll, you know, That'll really bake your noodle, yeah. as, as they say. So, um, did they say that? <laughs> who says it? Is it in the Matrix? What a really bake your noodle! Isn't that what she, way she says it? I haven't I seen so. it. Oh my! <gasps> We've had this conversation now. Sorry. That's another conversation for another day. That's exactly but that'll right. that will really bake your noodle. The fact that yes, right. That, the fact that we have our Hebrew scriptures are, yeah. are often better, more accurate copies than what Matthew had or what. We know that because they cite them. I mean, we actually have citations of Paul quoting the Hebrew Scripture or Matthew quoting Hebrew Scripture, and they are quoting the Septuagint. Yeah. And the Septuagint, we have more ancient copies than they had Mm -hmm. in order to interpret them in some cases. And so, again, that goes back to textual analysis. We have a whole other conversation. And so that's, this we're talking about, the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew canon. That's right. And now... The first books of what we call what we call the Holy Bible that yes. Christians have, the first, about two-thirds of it, is the Hebrew Scripture. Yes. And let's take just a second. I know we'll want to talk more about this, but this may be a good way to wrap up today's topic. Okay. Is how do we treat it? Let's just take a second. Mm-hmm. As, and as Christians, how do we treat this Hebrew Scripture? Yeah. Um, how do we apply it? How do we know when to apply it? I mean, this is, I don't know, I don't know if it's 80%, 90%, 95%, but when people are deconstructing their faith mm. and they find a passage yeah. in the Bible that really gets under their skin. Mm-hmm. I feel like 85, 90% of the time it is Hebrew scripture. Mm-hmm. Probably Leviticus. Yeah. And often it's <laughs> out of Leviticus. So well, the how new, do you treat that? The new meme that a lot of atheists use is that atheism, the road to atheism is paved 
by people who actually read their Bibles. Right. And so the, the, mm-hmm. the argument going on now is if you read your Bible, you won't believe in your Bible anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we've all just agreed to it kind of like a user agreement on your software. Like, oh, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, right. sure. Yeah, 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 I believe it. But you don't actually know what you believe. So, Or you've never read it. So what were your questions when you were Chris Driver, yes. the atheist? What would you always ask That was audience? So I had three questions. Question one was, so they would have usually an hour to ask me questions, mm-hmm. and then I would ask three questions. Sorry, so let's just quick, this what, is, what, this is, is, what is Chris Driver? Okay, so people who missed, we referenced last podcast, I think the, um, oh, yeah. I used to do a skit um, as Chris Driver, the atheist, named after my friend Chris Driver, mm-hmm. who was also not an atheist, um, but we were when both student skit, ministers. You just mean you were role pretending, playing, pretending, yeah, role, yeah, role yeah. playing to be an atheist, and I'm, I'm a, and apparently I'm like pretty good at it, which I don't know what that says, <laughs> but the, um, uh, I mean, I understand the arguments, I get it, and um, that was a early, early on, even with Smalley, I told him like. I feel like I need to coach you on some of your atheist arguments. I have better, I have better atheist arguments. Than <laughs> that's you why know, he thinks of. you're a secret atheist. That's, that's uh-huh. like, probably is why he thinks that. Um, but uh, uh, I think, I think um, it was the, like you were playing devil's advocate without yes. telling the audience you were playing devil's advocate. That's exactly right. right. Good. And by the way, I do it with students only. I've done it with adults once years ago and discovered you can't do it. They can't handle it. They can't handle it. Yeah. They they are so angry when they find out in their mind they've been lied to. And what they mean is, you made me look foolish. Mm-hmm. And instead of me embracing, like, wow, I look foolish. I need to, I need to grow up and fix. No, no, they, they have. A, we adults have a hard time with that. Anyway, yeah. I feel like that's got to be a healthy exercise, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, like just it, doing yeah. a separate one for anyway. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah part of why I want to talk with yeah. non-believers and atheists. So question one is, um, uh, question one is, do you believe everything that's in the Bible is true? Do you believe that that what the Bible says is true? Everybody, raise your hand. And the vast majority of people raise their hand. And I say, okay, now how many of you have read all of it? Mm-hmm. And then about 90% of the people who raise their hand lower their hand. And sometimes 99%. And I say, so without knowing what it says, you've signed off, which is exactly the... And by the way, the final question is, you know, this should be the, the Christian soft pitch. Like I'm going to throw you, a, as Brian Reed would say, a wicked 12-foot arc here. So I'm going to throw it to you. It is, why should I become a Christian? And then watching how badly most Christians are able to answer that question. Like they just, anyway, it has no bearing on the truth of it. And it has no bearing on the veracity of what they believe. They just have never thought to put it into words. Yeah. Um, it's, it is, by the way, it is very similar to cornering somebody and asking them like I did in the last podcast. So define woman for me. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that we've never thought to actually sit down and have, Oh, I have to do that. Yeah. I, we didn't talk about um, a few years ago. I had to do that with marriage. I mean, here I'm a marriage and family counselor, and I have been for 25 years. I'm a pastor. I performed at that point probably 20 weddings, and I had to go, wait, what do I actually believe marriage is? Like, how would I define it in two or three sentences in an elevator ride, so to speak? Mm-hmm. So anyway, same same kind of thing coming back to, so take take back what you were, you were at the um, the question of, have, do people actually read it? Do they know what it says? Mm-hmm. Like right. Sign and it. how do we deal well, with it? Well, so we were talking about Leviticus. I, I really think that what happens is you've got a layer of ignorance by a lot of atheists who are making these claims and don't understand the context. And so right. they get bothered if you say context, but then you've got this other layer of ignorant Christians who are like, really, it says that, Oh my right. goodness. And then they freak out. And so what happens is someone hopefully can come along and say, well, let me explain genre. Let me explain why we don't follow that anymore. Right. And Leviticus or Jesus fulfilled that, or that's another, but the other 
kind of the defense of our ignorance of Leviticus, I feel a little bit, is, well, there's a reason why we don't camp out in Leviticus all the time versus the New Testament. It's because there is a lot of stuff that we don't do the sacrificial system anymore. And we don't have to figure out the tabernacle and which direction it's facing and where the tribes line up, right? which that seems so mind-numbing to us, but it was important then. Yep. So in, on, in one sense, it's like, yeah, you should be able to say, I have read Leviticus. Should you fully grasp it? That might be different. Are we fully obliged to obey it? No. Right. And so that's, I think, leading into what you said. Like, how do you know what you're supposed to follow or not? Okay, good. I want to, I want to. Are we, I think we're about, we're kind of wrapping up this one. Let me let me give a quick analogy that we can unpack later. Because you have to go, right? I think we're going to, yeah, we're going to need to take off here awesome. in a second. Um, so the analogy I would use for this that I just did when I was teaching the kids up in um, Montana yeah, um, is I asked if there was a couple in the room who were engaged. And there, and there, there was. Yep, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. a couple in the back who was engaged. And I said, when when is your engagement over? And so I asked it that way. So when are you going to end your engagement? And they were like, uh, and I said, well, it's going to be over at some point. When are you going to end your engagement? You have a date set? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, I'm, I mean, yeah, I guess it's going to be. And they gave whatever date I assume was their wedding date. Yeah. And I was like, you mean right here in front of all of us, you have strategically planned on ending your engagement? Like, ouch, that's, that's <laughs> that sounds horrible and harsh. Like you're just going to, we're done with it. We're done. In one moment. It's over. We're just going to be done with our engagement. You know what? I'm breaking up with you as my fiance. You're no longer my fiance <laughs> as of today. Y'all are making that decision. That sounds pretty awful. Pretty awful. How are y'all going to handle that? Well, the point being, the way we handle the Hebrew Scripture as is something that is fulfilled. It's it's not bad. It's not wrong. It is fulfilled, and the one who fulfilled it interprets it for us. So Jesus helps us through His teaching very clearly. By the way, mm-hmm. on which of the Hebrew Scriptures are are now still applicable in a general sense in His kingdom. And which ones were narrow for a specific time? It doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they're wrong or for a specific audience. Um, in, in any of that, we would never teach people to disobey what God has taught. We would never do that. Um, but to say there came a point at which the 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 um, uh, engagement turned into a marriage, and that makes the engagement complete. It's, it's, in a sense, obsolete. That's a word that Paul uses in the, the mm-hmm. Greek word obsolete, but it just means fulfilled. fulfilled. It, it, it's yeah. not, it's not, we're not saying, do you go like, oh, so you hate your engagement? No. So your engagement just, just it wasn't important. It's not important. Well, I mean, no, it's, none of that's true. So you broke up with her as your girlfriend also? Well, when she became your fiance, it's like, have you done, I actually asked him, like, have you done that? Have you introduced her as your girlfriend? He was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> that didn't go out so well, did right, it? Like, right. this is my girlfriend, like, fiance, I mean, fiance. <laughs> um, and so I was like, you'll do it again probably when you're married. Like, this is my fiance, I mean, wife. And so, um, yeah, you want it, this, that's what we're dealing with. It, it is not a disrespect. It's not a, even meant to be a dishonor for. It's just a, this this has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and that being the case, we now interpret it with this kind of reverse mindset where it's not, we don't live in a theocracy under the Hebrew laws. Yeah. And that's a big part of what they were. We'll unpack this further, but understanding when we engage with the Hebrew scriptures as Christians, we're looking for our rabbi, Jesus, to interpret them for us, to help us know what to apply and what not to apply, when and how and who. And and this, by the way, was a conversation that continued to be had in the early church for several hundred years. Um, and then it got messed up, and we're having to re-engage with it in some ways now, that in ways it never has been, which is exciting time to be alive. So we'll jump into the. That's a great analogy. Thank you. I'm gonna have to use that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a. 
Um, if I, I'm, I'm, I, I think I came up with it, but I probably did. I probably read it somewhere and was like, "Oh, that's good." And then it just slowly so became email mine. In if you're actually the author, yeah, if you're the email. actual person, exactly. we, we would love to cite Thank you and you, give Brent. you credit. I'm sure I am not the first person to recognize. <laughs> Even if I did come up with it. My solution is when I teach, I just keep my hands like this the whole time. <laughs> he quotes and then the I whole just, time. You can't say I'm not quoting someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got quotes the whole yeah. time. But don't you think, just one thought on that, don't you think it's also we and our selfishness always come to scripture of like, how does this impact me? Which <laughs> yes. is not always bad. Like application is not a bad thing, but we often in our, our tendency to come to scripture of what can I, what do I learn? What do me, uh, what about me? And, yes. and instead it's like, okay, what can I know about God and his right. bigger story? And I think a lot of times I get lost in the old Testament because I'm like, I don't, this doesn't. Mm. And it's, yeah. and instead I'm, it's going back to turning and facing God of saying, what can I know about my rabbi and my God through this and his story and not just boiling it down to me. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's really good. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, Don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.